This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Tuesday, November the 8th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, Lenny Goggins describes the new inclusive economy, a research project that aims to build a more inclusive labor market in British Columbia. Staying in British Columbia, Lawrence Gunther will explore the issues surrounding the coastal GasLink natural gas pipeline. And later on in the show, Karen McGee, Ryan Delahanty, and Alex Smythe will be here for another edition of the weekly news quiz. I have the questions printed out in a document sitting to my left, and I will fight to the death to make sure nobody breaks here into Studio 5 and gets those questions early. It's a very select few who have this inside information. Power broker, Dave Brown. Let's begin the show with our top story of the day and get to some news from the health minister's meeting in British Columbia. Let's start with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who wants the conversation to be more than just health funding. But as the president of the Canadian Medical Association said this summer, there's no point just putting more money into a broken system. We need to improve the results delivered for Canadians. Federal Health Minister Jean-Yves Duclos says the federal government will increase funding to the provinces with some strings attached, including provincial commitments to a national health data system. We would do this if provinces and territories are prepared to commit to a meaningful expansion of the sharing and use of common key health indicators and to therefore build a world-class health data system for our country. Duclos says there is all kinds of information that people need to be aware of. So the type of results like access to a family health doctor, reducing the time it takes to to access proper mental health services, reducing the backlogs in surgeries, approximately a a million uh, backlogs in surgeries and diagnostics across Canada. So those are the type of outcomes that Canadians are watching for. Duclos says Canadians want to see tangible results in health spending. We are not engaging into a futile fight on percentage points, tax points and transfers. People listening to us and watching carefully what what we're doing together want to focus on what those collaborative actions mean for people. British Columbia Health Minister Adrian Dix thinks his province is already sharing lots of data. We have an obligation to provide the public with information about the healthcare system. And that includes indicators about how we're doing. And we're going to continue to do that. We're doing that more than ever. And we're happy to do and consider those options. But we'll wait. Uh, We'll be delighted to see the details of what Minister Duclos has to say. Of course, health ministers were also reflecting on the current strain facing a lot of health systems across the country with respiratory illness. And Minister Dix says the province is preparing for another winter of system strain that this is going to be a difficult winter 
because we're going to see, and we've seen this in the southern hemisphere already, significant increases and challenges related to respiratory illnesses, including, but not limited to, COVID-19. And ministers will continue those meetings today in British Columbia. Let's head over to Ottawa to get some sound from the Emergencies Act inquiry. The mayor of Windsor, Ontario, spoke yesterday. Drew Dilkins says his local police used what they saw in Ottawa as an incentive to clear protests quickly. The largest lesson learned was not to let this grow. Don't let bouncy castles and hot tubs and sort of those types of amenities come to the streets on Huron Church Road and allow this to grow. So make sure that we're dealing with this, you know, as quickly and swiftly and professionally uh, in a way that, as she said, provides for public safety and de-escalates. Dilkins testified that he did support the federal government's use of the Emergencies Act, and he reflected that even though police in his jurisdiction cleared protests, there were concerns about violence and clashes with police. And I know police weren't interested in that. As the mayor, I wasn't interested in that. As chair of the police board, I wasn't interested in that. Uh, we were interested in finding a way through this that was sensible, that was practical, but ultimately that, that you know, opened the road leading to the Ambassador Bridge because it is such a vital uh, economic piece of economic infrastructure, not just for Windsor-Essex County, but for the entire province and, and respectfully for the nation. And more participants from protests will appear at the inquiry today. Marco Van Hugenboss from the protest at the Coots Alberta border and one of the Windsor protesters will appear as well. The other major news story is the UN climate conference in Egypt. UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez says effective policy will require international cooperation. A pact in which wealthier countries and international financial institutions provide financial and technical assistance to help emerging economies speed their own renewable energy transition. A pact when dependence on fossil fuels and the building of new coal plants, phasing out coal in OECD countries by 2030 and everywhere else by 2040. Former U.S. President Al Gore also spoke at the conference yesterday. Gore says the outcomes of reducing emissions is clear. If we actually do reach true net zero, the scientists tell us temperatures will stop going up with a lag time of as little as three to five years. And if we stay at true net zero, half of all of the man-made CO2 will fall out of the atmosphere in as little as 25 to 30 years. More leaders expected to arrive today, including Joe Biden tomorrow, after the results of the U.S. midterm elections come in tonight. Let's get to our daily polls at Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter at Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. Yesterday we asked you, Canada's health ministers are meeting in B.C. What do you think their top priority should be? 66.7% of you said hire more staff. 0% of you said build more hospitals. 33.3% of you said better efficiency. And 0% of you said telehealth strategies. None of you liking those Zoom calls with your doctors, I suppose. Today's daily poll we're having a little bit of fun. Of course, there's some big lottery numbers flying around, whether it be the lotto maxes in the tens of millions or the Powerballs south of the border approaching $2 billion. $2 billion. That's a lot of cash. That's a lot, a lot, a lot of cash. So out of the mind of Andrika Delanerol, our senior producer, what would you do if you won the lottery? If you select other, please write in. So number one option, quit your job. Number two option, travel. That might go hand in hand with quitting your job. Number three, giving back to the community or other. Let's start by welcoming back Alex Smythe, fresh from the beach. 
Alex, I imagine travel might be on your agenda, even though you just got back from some. Absolutely, Dave. I mean, it's one of those things I'm seeing this list. It's like, okay, quit your job. Yes. Travel. Yes. Get back to the community. Yes. Other. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, basically, I, I can just take off that entire list. Under other, uh, I would do what every millennial in my age bracket and uh, uh, a situation would want to do, and that's buy a house or a, 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 a place <laughs> of their own. You know, you add that. You kind of have to be a millionaire in this day and age, especially in the GTA, to be able to do that. So Two, $2 billion. You, know, dollars, you can buy a nice three-bedroom condo in downtown yeah. Toronto. Yes, exactly. So, you know, and then you have a bit of pocket change left over to do the traveling to to quit your job or, or pick up something new. Like for me, it's not that I want to quit my job. Obviously, I love working with you and uh, everyone here. For me, it's like I, I still have the passion for doing, you know, work with within media. I think what I would do if I won, I would maybe like blend it a bit more into the travel space, maybe become a travel blogger, maybe write some travel books or do some sort of travel TV show, you know, like too much work, uh, like too much work. Yeah. You know, but do it on my terms. That's the key. You know, it's, it, you do work or a hobby that you enjoy and that you fit and you schedule it as you wish. You know, you can go and take those breaks and do whatever you want. Even if you want to do nothing, you know, that's, that's the beauty of having the money. It affords you the freedom to do what you want to do and not uh, not force you to do what you don't want to do. Yeah, along those lines, I would also continue work in media, but I would only work for myself. I would only work on my own daily deadlines, and I would keep everything simple. I would only talk about the things that I want to talk about. There would be no mandatory segments about this or that or a contributor with, oh, we need these notes yeah. or that notes. No, it would be what I want to talk about, what I want to talk about on my own deadlines, not wor worried about advertisements. It would all be digital. Yeah. It would all be in the YouTube space. I wouldn't worry about linear technology, linear broadcast technology. This board that board 72,000 tech support people to get a show to the air nah man youtube channel one camera one microphone maybe a zoom connection and like that would be that talking about the things i want to talk about music sports entertainment movies etc and i really would not bother about too many other things i would keep it very very simple and it might be once or twice a month the other thing i would do i'm gonna i'm gonna play inside the u.s powerball fantasy mm -hmm. because 70 million is a lot of money and you would just sort of do whatever you want if you made 70 million but if you had $2 billion in the bank account, $2 billion is a lot of money. I've said this before. I would probably open my own university, Brown State, just to tick off the people at Brown in Rhode Island. They would not be happy about that. I would open the, yeah, small liberal arts college, small liberal arts university. We'd probably have a good basketball team, hopefully a good football team, so I could be a little bit of an entrepreneur in that space, in the college athletic space. That would be fun. I would also very happily uh, put some money in trust to start a production company for my friends who work in the acting, writing, producing space, directing space, and tell them, hey, here's some money in a trust. There's going to be annual dividends of X amount of dollars. That's going to pay for your production company. So go make some content. Go be creative. Do what you like. I would certainly invest in people. I would invest in people's businesses as essentially an angel, angel silent investor. You know, I have friends who own gyms, martial arts gyms, martial arts companies. They would get a little bit of cash here and there, the production people. So I would do a little bit of everything. Certainly some donating to a couple of great community causes, a couple charities here and there. I wouldn't donate to every single charity. I would Pick, I would pick and choose, and I would definitely use information from places like Charity Intelligence Canada to make sure I was actually donated into charities that offer frontline impact and don't just pay their executives hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to wear nice suits and tell people what a great job they're doing. So, yeah, $2 billion. There's a lot I would do, uh, including quit my job, but then work for myself like three days well, a month. 
and and that's the thing, Dave, and that's something I thought about. You know, everyone has a fantasy. It's not just oh, give give money away. It's you invest in in people. You it's like oh, I you have access to these funds, but I'm not just giving it to you for nothing. It's like if you want to do something creative, if you want to start a project and you need funding, here's the money to do it. It's not just here's money. Go and do whatever you want. Yeah, absolutely. Let's bring in Eliza Rocco. Eliza, Alex, and I have been fantasizing. What about you? Two thousand cats. <laughs> I didn't even think about not, that. Not, one. not to imply that you're a crazy cat lady. You <laughs> only have two. Am. You only have okay. two, though. <laughs> um, yes, I would love that. I didn't think that wasn't at the top of, that li- of my list. Originally, oh, I would support I some I animal rescues. To. I would support some humane yeah, societies. I did put on my list that while I wouldn't quit my job, I'd probably move to more of a part time thing, um, but also work in an animal shelter and take care of all those cats, walk some dogs, have a good time. Um, I'd also love to join Alex on that travel show. That sounds like a great time. Oh, it's so much work. It's so much work. I mean, listen, Alex made a lot of episodes. <laughs> Alex made a lot of episodes of postcards. I made one episode of postcards for AMI. It's a lot of work. Oh, I bet. I bet. But, but the travel part of it, right? I don't know, traveling but- for work is not travel. Let me tell you, as someone who spent like 100 <laughs> days in a hotel in 2017, traveling for work is not travel. Yeah, you got uh, me there. Yeah. Yeah, travel would be my number one off that list, though. Travel, for sure. I just want to go travel the world, not have to worry about money, keep my buy a very nice condo in Toronto, yeah. like just a ridiculously nice condo Penthouse, wraparound oh, view. yes, yes. Top floor. Buy a house for my dad if I have some extra money. Oh. I also, I don't know why, but I would really like to buy a boat. Ooh, a yachta. be fun. Wait, are we talking yacht or are we talking, like, just speedboat? If if I could also pay someone to um, sail the yacht for me, I'd love to get a yeah, yacht. But I Capitano. cannot sail the yacht on my own, so someone's going to have to do that for me. Okay, so you're thinking more speedboat or, like, lake boat. Yeah, just a nice—I've I've, I've ridden on a lot of boats in my life, but I've never had my own boat. My family's never had their own boat, so just, it just okay, feels like okay. something— I need. <laughs> I think I, I could. I think I could do yacht life. I would just be so uncomfortable if I had a captain like watching my every move. Yeah, yeah. I want to be. I want to pay someone to drive my boat, but I feel like it has to be a friend in some way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't want a stranger on my boat at all times. If I'm just trying to relax and have a good time, keep them in isolation. Be like, hey, this floor <laughs> of the boat is yours. Otherwise, don't, don't even look at me. me. Yeah. <laughs> Leave me and my pina colada on the lower deck. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a whole plan. It is. <laughs> Yacht life. <laughs> All right. Let's see. This is this is how our $2 billion gets blown very, very quickly. Because once you start buying these $200 million dollar mega yachts, all of a sudden, next thing you know, like when your yacht can store three yachts, you've gone too far. Maybe. Maybe. Or, Debatable. Or maybe not far enough. Maybe you need to be able to store five yachts on your mega yachts. And need then room you're really. For all the cats. Uh, oh, my gosh. The cat yacht. <laughs> The cats, I don't think the cats We're would like that. Things. Cats don't strike me as boat as boat friendly. The rare cat, maybe. The rare cat. Maybe not, not any cat I've ever met. But you see those internet videos of cats that like to swim, so they're out That's there. true. I don't think you'd find much of a chari- charitable uh, drive from people around you, though, if you were like, come support my yacht cat rescue. <laughs> I think I think that may not may not fly or maybe not. float, as it were. Uh, Eliza, thank you for this. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you vote on Facebook. Obviously, this is one where we can offer a little bit of fantasy, so please feel free to jump into the comments section or retweet with comments or do as you please to tell us about your lottery 
fantasies. You can also send us an email, feedback at AMI.ca, feedback at AMI.ca, or give us a phone call, 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545. Let's head over to Alex Smythe. Alex has the national weather update. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Starting in St. John's, Newfoundland, it's cloudy with a chance of showers. Wind gusts up to 70 kilometers per hour and a high of 8. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's a mix of sun and clouds with wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour and a high of 7. Over to Montreal, Quebec, it's sunshine with a high of 7. In Ottawa, Ontario, it's sunny as well with 5 being the high. Over to Toronto, Ontario, it's sunny and a high of 10. Thunder Bay, Ontario, it's cloudy with 5 at the high. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's a mix of sun and clouds with a chance of showers in the afternoon and the high is 5. In Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, it's cloudy with a chance of light snow and a high of negative 6. Over to Alberta, uh, Calgary, Alberta. It's mainly sunny, but negative 15 is the high. It's a very cold day over in Alberta. Following along Edmonton, Alberta, there's snow off and on today with periods of sun and clouds in between and the high there as well, negative 15. Up in Yellowknife, Northwest Territories, it's a mix of sunny clouds with a chance of snow flurries, negative 10 is the high. Vancouver, BC, it's cloudy with a chance of wet snow in the morning and then clearing in the afternoon, six is the high. Victoria, BC, same thing, cloudy with possible wet snow or rain in the morning and then clearing and the high there is seven. That was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, Lenny Goggins describes the new Inclusive Economy, a research project that aims to build an inclusive labor market in British Columbia. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. A new research project in British Columbia is aiming to build an inclusive labor market. The new inclusive economy comes together by Inclusion Powell River. Project manager Lenny Goggins is here to tell you all about it. Hey, Lenny, thank you so much for making time to be with us today. We're grateful. Good morning, Dave. How are you? I'm well. So let's start here. Before we get into how you're going to solve the problem or how you're going to grapple with the problem. Let's talk about the problem itself. What is the landscape in regards to the labor market for people with disabilities in the province of BC? Yeah, so our BC stats are pretty old. Uh, so we tend to rely on Stats Canada, so national numbers. So across Canada, the participation rate for people with disabilities is 59% versus 80% for people without disabilities. And so it's it's the, similar in BC. Um, we have 25% of our population identifies as having a disability. So uh, also lower participation rates. And so that's um, that's sort of what, what inspired this project. So tell me a bit more about the goal of the project. How are you aiming to start bridging these gaps and putting people into employment and meaningful employment? 
Yeah, so with the new Inclusive Economy Project, it is a research project. And so we're asking employers about their practices of inclusive employment and their structural conditions. So instead of going and asking a, a bunch of employers who, who don't really employ inclusively uh, what their challenges are, we feel like we have a pretty good grasp of what the challenges are on the employer side. So instead, we've asked em employers who already find themselves inclusive, and then we'll have a set of practices that we can share with, with any employer who's interested in inclusive employment. How many employers are you expecting to reach out to? Do you already have a, a fairly wide net that you're going to cast? Yeah, so, so far we launched a survey that was open for three weeks and we had around 100 employers participate in our survey. And then uh, we're hosting focus groups, interviews, as well as touring BC with the findings. So we, we hope to reach, you know, in the hundreds of employers across BC in every sector and in every region. What does the time frame look like from doing the survey to doing some focus groups? And then in terms of actually synthesizing that information, what is what does the time breakdown look like? Yeah, so we'll be conducting data collection between now and the spring. And then during the spring, that's when we'll start to share out what we're finding with other employers to see how it lands for them. What was the enthusiasm like for some of those employers who ended up uh, reaching out to you and, and taking part in the survey? Did, did they seem eager to do so? Did they seem eager to participate? Yeah, so I think employers who are already champions of inclusivity are definitely willing to participate and are really um, stepping up to lead here, which is excellent. Uh, we ourselves are an inclusive employer as well and work within the social enterprise realm. So we had a lot of really great response from those working within the social economy, as well as uh, in the conventional competitive labor market. I, I want to pull something from the website here on the project's website, describing it as capturing alternative economic approaches to inclusive employment. I, I think it's maybe a bit self-evident in your last couple answers, but why the emphasis on the word alternative there? Yeah, that's a really great question. So we um, are asking about structural conditions because we think that inclusion isn't just a matter of policy or practice. It's also a matter of where uh, employers are situated in the economy. And so we have a hunch that when your structural conditions are focused on the well-being of your employees uh, to the benefit of society uh, or planet, that there may be um, more uh, alternative approaches within that structure to to create more equitable uh, workspaces. So we know that there's a really robust social enterprise um, uh, sector across Canada, and that that sector has has put inclusion at the forefront rather than it being an afterthought uh, or a trendy tokenistic decision. Um, and so that's that's uh, why we're trying to emphasize that as well. One of the words that I'm oftentimes uh, slamming the table uh, utilizing when we're talking about employment for people with disabilities is the word meaningful, because so many times you used it in your last answer, the expression sort of token, where you'll say, oh, you know, we've hired a person with a disability and they're in this one little role over here in this corner. And then there's not necessarily room for them to grow. There's a clear glass ceiling inside the company. So how much is underemployment ending up going to be a focus here or, or talking about what it means for employment to be meaningful for people? Yeah, so just from our survey, which closed on October 31st, we were, we're tracking indicators of inclusion. 
And what the survey results showed was that of the 60, 65% of respondents, there was a, a position for a person with a disability in leadership. So we consider that a, a very strong indicator. And it really speaks to um, if you have positions of leadership for people with disabilities, if you're if you're disability led, that you will likely be more inclusive. And so it, it really speaks to that whole well-being piece of of your employees, not just um, having a, a single position designated. I don't when, know if that really answers your question. I, I mean, no, no, I mean, I, th- I think it does because that because that implies pathways, right? It implies that if there's yeah. a leadership role or a management role where people with disabilities have lived experience can say, I'm in the decision-making phase on the forefront, it, it means that you're not going to be uh, buying HR softwares or accounting softwares that are inaccessible for employees with ex- uh, disabilities because a person who's actually signing the paper to make the purchase is going to say, wait, I can't use this. I don't want this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Lenny, I know the work that you guys are doing is really, really broad, and there's going to be a lot of best practices pulled out of here. And as you say, there's phases to this. Is there a way that people like me can uh, follow along with the progress you guys are making and maybe uh, ways in which they can stay in tune about some of those focus groups or finding the uh, findings as they get synthesized? Yeah, so we have a newsletter on our website for that very purpose because we'll be releasing information as it comes. Uh, It's an iterative process, so things will change as we learn. And so the newsletter is at newinclusiveeconomy.ca. And then, of course, we'll be putting out press releases every time we have uh, a new sort of piece of the research to share. Lenny, we're so grateful for the work that you and your colleagues are doing. Thank you for uh, getting up early for us today. And let's stay in touch and keep us posted on the progress you're making as the research continues. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for your time. That's Lenny Goggins, the project manager for the New Inclusive Economy. You can learn more by visiting newinclusiveeconomy.ca. That's newinclusiveeconomy.ca. Coming up next, we stay in British Columbia. Lawrence Gunther is going to explore some of the issues surrounding the coastal GasLink natural gas pipeline. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Emily Javesky with your Morning Business Minute. Canada's main stock index was up by more than 96 points Monday, with broad-based gains in most sectors, while U.S. stock markets also climbed higher. The S&P TSX Composite Index was up 96 points at 19,546. In New York, the Dow Jones was up 424 points at 32,827. Japan's Nikkei finished up 344 points at 27,872. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong closed down 39 points at 16,557. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 74 cents U.S. Hearings will continue today in Ottawa on Rogers' $26 billion proposed takeover of Shaw Communications. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Emily Jovesky. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's talk pipelines. Which one is facing trouble this time? Well, the BC government has halted some construction on a section of the new LNG coastal gas link 
pipeline. So let's talk about that with Lawrence Gunther, the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. Hey, good morning, Lawrence. How you doing, Dave? I'm doing well. So, Lawrence, whenever we say the word pipeline, sometimes people's eyes and ears glaze over because there's a lot of pipelines that are hitting some roadblocks along the way here. So give me some more information. Remind me about which pipeline in particular Coastal GasLink is. Where in B.C. is this one being built? This one is specific to shipping natural gas offshore. So we want to sell this stuff, right? We, we have a plenty of supply of natural gas serving all of Canada, being pipelined all across Canada. There's no doubt about that. There's pipelines everywhere and redundant pipelines and new pipelines being built to move that gas from Alberta across Canada. This one, though, is uh, in the northern part of British Columbia. So they have they have fracking fields where they extract natural gas in the eastern, northeastern part of British Columbia. They have to get a 672 kilometers across the mountains to the coast to Kitimat. It's about 100 kilometers north of Prince George. So Prince George is sort of right in the center of British Columbia. This is north of that. So it's it's pretty far up there. So in this case, work was stopped because of failure to meet a compliance agreement. What was that failure? Well, TC Energy is building the pipeline for uh, coastal gas links. Um, they were supposed to submit 32 plans to the BC government, 32 work plans on sensitive areas, how they were going to handle sensitive areas. You know, whether they did or whether they followed those plans, that's the problem. Uh, they were issued a fine in February of 2022 of about $75,000, another one this past summer of about $175,000 for, you know, you, they don't get fines and Unless there's problems and they've obviously there's been a list of problems that are growing you know they start with letters enforcement letters you know you must do this you must do that and if they don't then the fines start to flow and once the fines uh, don't seem to have effect then they just say stop working on these sections until you guys sort this out so it's not the whole pipeline but it's it's a it's a sensitive part of the pipeline about a hundred kilometer stretch that's being impacted um you know through the mountains that that's where we're talking about today Lawrence, there are probably 27 million reasons on why environmental safeguards are important in the pipeline construction process. Why mm. so significant? What are the ones that you would say are most significant? Well, you know, we have problems with our salmon on the West Coast, right? We have problems with salmon habitat. And we know salmon habitat, de degradations in salmon habitat, is a huge contributor to why the population of many of the salmon species, many of the salmon runs are, are diminishing. So when you have sediment being introduced into streams and rivers that the sa salmon need, like this is not, you know, just a general river. These, this is where the salmon end up. This is where they lay their eggs. This is where they do their spawning. This is where the eggs stay in the river, in the, in the rocks, and, and, and uh, mature, and then hatch, and then those little salmon fry come out of those eggs. When you have sediment being poured on top of them, like dirt, that doesn't bode well for the eggs. These mm -hmm. eggs need to have uh, oxygen flowing over the eggs, you know, from the water, clean water flowing over the eggs to produce, to, for the eggs to be viable, for them to actually live. And then if, if the sediment covers these spawning beds, the salmon can't really, they're not going to lay their eggs there because they're not going to just dump their eggs into a pile of dirt because they right. know they won't survive. Well, it's, right? like so, it's like not Darwinian, like Darwinian, like any Darwinian thinking would hmm. say, no, I want to make my egg, I want to lay my eggs where they're going to live. 
Exactly. So so they go somewhere else. And if there's nowhere else to go because everything from that point downstream is sedimented, that's a problem, right? Not key spawning beds are being destroyed. So this is the problem here. Mainly it's it's the salmon. So it's one section of the economy impacting another section of the economy on either side being with a huge environmental impact. So, Lawrence, here's the Captain Obvious question. Why aren't we just building these pipelines further away from key rivers? Well, that's a good question. And, you know, picture this, though. You've got mountain ranges, like mountain after mountain after mountain, you know, rows and rows and rows of them. What does a river do? It finds the path of least resistance through those mountains, around those mountains. So where does the oil uh, pipeline want to go? Path of least resistance. So it follows those same sort of canyons as the rivers are in. Now, that wouldn't be a problem if there was space, you know, sufficient space beside the river to move the pipeline over but you know when those mountains are pinched and close together and those rivers make up the whole cover the whole floor uh, of the, uh, the the whole horizontal area between the mountains they have to sort of cut into the bank you know of of the river uh, beside the river they cut into it with a plow you know dig it out they put the pipeline there and uh, and sometimes when they pile up that dirt it rains and that dirt sort of slumps back into the river or they're just not careful when they dig it out and and some of it dumps into the river this is where the problems are happening it's the just sloppy construction practices they're not taking their time they're not doing it properly hey sue me if you want you know but this is what i'm hearing (laughs) (laughs) my lawyer is still on uh, still on parental leave so uh, my lawyer not available to help you uh lawrence let's get to some perspectives here some of these i think are going to be pretty straightforward but what do environmental groups have to say about this well, Conservation North has got their eyes all over this, and they're saying this is another blow to salmon habitat. You know, first we have deforestation with uh, logging practices that were, in a large part, for many, many, many years, not sustainably done. They were cut, cutting wood right up to the shore of these rivers. They were cutting down uh, um, logs and trees that were most meant to stabilize riverbanks. You cut them down, and uh, the riverbank, you know, itself washes into the river every time it rains or you 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 cut too many trees right next to the slope beside these rivers and and that every time it rains the water runs down the side of the mountain through the few trees you leave beside the riverbank and into the into the river so you know you got the logging of the first step now you got this is another blow you know it's it's death by a thousand cuts right it just keeps piling up now the green party in bc they're also getting a little upset about this so they're calling for greater enforcement of the rules you know they want to see mm-hmm. uh, more action being taken so you know the government of british columbia is getting the heat on them that's for sure lawrence correct me if i'm wrong here but this was the ga- this was the pipelining question in regards to a lot of the wet'suwet'en protests a couple of mm. years ago so what are first nations representatives having to say about this matter well you know Let's be clear, not all First Nations are uh, absolutely opposed to pipelines. There's lots of First Nations communities that uh, have gained from pipelines passing through their territory with with agreements with the pipeline companies. They're watching over. They're sort of the, the guardians. They're, they get jobs out of it. They get economic, uh, you know, payments from it, you know, that go on as a pipeline exists. They become sort of partners involved. But not all, not all First Nations and not all people in those communities believe in pipelines. So it's not, you know, black and white. That's what I'm trying to say here, right? It's not black and white that they're absolutely opposed to any pipeline ever happening anywhere in Canada. But when these pipelines leak, when these pipelines are installed badly, when these pipelines are not maintained properly, when they haven't 
you know, done the proper environmental assessment when they're planning where to put these pipelines. This is what the uh, uh, with Tuden are, are worried about. They're they're saying, look, you know, get your act together or or stop. You know, this is this is exactly what we're worried about. It's just you know companies coming in here and running uh, roughshod over over the the their 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 sacred grounds and their yeah. territory where they where they fish and hunt and live. It, when people are exploring the notion of a balanced approach to natural resource extraction, even fossil fuels, as we are perhaps transitioning in the next couple of decades away from them, this is where regulation comes into it, right? This, this, at the heart of this conversation is regulation to say there is an economic benefit for Canada to continue to export natural resources, but you cannot do it if you're letting companies essentially just do whatever the heck they want to do, whether it be the open coal pits in places like Alberta, you and I have talked about that before, whether it be shoddy construction on pipelines like this running through important natural resource corridors, that if we're going to take a balanced approach, the approach actually needs to be properly balanced. But Lawrence, you elaborated to it a little bit there, but the economic case, the necessity in moving natural gas to the coast. What is that economic necessity? You know, there, there's the, the natural gas shortage in Europe, right? We had the uh, uh, Prime Minister President of Germany over here not so long ago looking for natural gas. We, You know, there's a market for this stuff, right? There is a market for natural gas. There's no doubt about it. It's, um, it's cheap for us to produce. We have abundant supply of it you know we used to think of it as just as waste we just used to gas it off and let it fire it off so we yeah. could burn it away so yeah. we get the oil out of the ground it was just in the way then we found a way to sell it and we called it natural gas well it's it's a fossil fuel right it's just another fossil fuel that when you burn it it creates carbon and dave you and i have talked about this with kitchen appliances and and vancouver and quebec you know all moving away from natural gas for heating homes heating water appliances you know water heaters stoves dryers things like that it's another fossil fuel we got to get under control so you know there's problems with that and there's also problems with the extraction technique of, of natural gas this isn't just you know drill a hole in the ground and poof it starts shooting out yeah. like a big yeah. uh, gusher this is when the where they go in drill a hole and then slam hydraulic fluids full of marbles and other rocks and and chemicals yeah. to bust up the rock underground to get the gas to flow through the cracked rocks so that they can mine the gas all around that hole so that it flows towards that hole and then they can suck it out of there and that's pretty destructive too you know that 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 fracking process. Oh, the, the, you know. the fresh water supply gets gets incredible mm. gets put incredibly in danger by the fracking process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But so there's a market. There's people who want to make money at it. You know, like our coffers are getting filled up again with tax revenues from oil and gas sales. So. Uh, you know, we're benefiting from that as well in terms of lower deficits by our government because the coffers, you know, more money flowing in. It, there's there's yeah. challenges there, but, you know, for sure, Dave, like, you know, we've got the COP meetings going on now. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's all sorts of evidence, all sorts of evidence that we need to get ourselves off this fossil fuel. So, you know, where do you start, right? The Europeans are starting big time. They're really pushing forward with their uh, renewable energies. We know in the United States they're pushing for it because you know what? Turns out renewable energy is the cheapest way That's to right. produce electricity. That's right. Imagine that, imagine that <laughs> stuff that self-sustains is cheaper than having to get out dinosaur bones from the ground. 
There you go. <laughs> yeah, Lawrence, I think I think that there's some folks like who would listen to this conversation and they'd be ticked off at us because they think we're taking like too much of a middle ground here. But the reality is like there is some complexity to this. And I think you've represented both sides of the conversation quite nicely here. And again, people will be mad at us, irrespective and irregardless. Uh, Lawrence, oh, yeah. a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in this room and I was listening. I don't know if it was a new episode of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther or just a highlight, but it was you talking people through building a great campfire and i said to eliza through the talk back button i've never i wish in my life i could care about something as much as lawrence gunther cares about making a fire i was just <laughs> gobsmacked by how much fun you were having describing making a great campfire and i that speaks to what a great job you do as a host of outdoors with lawrence gunther so what's coming up on the most recent episode well, Dave, it's uh, it's silly things, but, you know, GPS, what's going on in the world of GPS and off-grid navigation, a little update on that. And um, I'm going to open up my uh, locker, and I'm going to talk about all the different types of gloves I use. Oh, and my why. gosh. Oh, my gosh. You see, the passion just shines on through. Hey, Lawrence, all the best to you. Thank you for exploring this issue with us today, and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Dave, have a great week. That's Lawrence Gunther. He's the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. You can find that show in its initial airing Sundays at 3 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. You can download the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, and you can follow Lawrence on Twitter at Lawrence Gunther. Coming up next, Elon Musk has cut the Accessible Experience team at Twitter. I'll give you some more details in the Accessibility Story Roundup, but first... There's some speculation about how those Twitter layoffs may impact today's midterm election in the U.S. Daria Alblinger, Alblinger, how about Albinger, explores that, that angle in Tech Trends. Twitter laid off more than 3,000 of its employees last week, about half the company. ABC's crime and terrorism analyst Brad Garrett says that could impact the company's ability to crack down on election misinformation. That's going to also touch on his cybersecurity people. And if they're not there in place to, to catch or stop some of the things that go online, that's, you know, that's one aspect of this. It comes as Elon Musk, Twitter's new leader, vows to roll back content moderation guidelines on the platform. It sounds like he's going to be much more open to allow information that may be currently banned by Twitter. Musk has walked back some of those comments, saying no major decisions will be made until they form a content moderation council. With Tech Trends, I'm Daria Albinger, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. I'll have your regional news update in just a moment. But first, let's get to the accessibility story roundup. Hey-haw! You heard a little bit about this in tech trends, and there's lots of media reports about this all over the place, but I'm pulling this from an article out of techcrunch.com about the Twitter layoffs. So let's talk about a couple of the particular areas where these layoffs have happened around Twitter. So first and foremost, the Twitter Human Rights Council, the former head of that, Shannon Raj Singh shared news about the company's human rights team being eliminated on Friday. The team worked to protect users facing human rights violations around the globe, including activists, journalists, and people affected by conflict and war. And now the former head of accessibility 
confirmed the company cut the accessibility experience team, which in attempted to improve the product for people with disabilities. There were also some layoffs in the machine learning, ethics, transparency, and accountability department. So when you sort of put all of these things together, it shows there's going to be a big change going on in regards to some of the priorities in Twitter with new management in place. And we talked a little bit about this with Stephen Scott last Friday, that people certainly have the right to leave a platform they feel is not being curated properly and go to other places. Maybe don't be super performative on your way out the door, but that's your choice. Again, if you want to do a tweet storm on your way out, you're welcome to do so. But now we start seeing what some of the actual practical implications are in terms of losing programmers and teams and projects. And when you think about areas like accessibility, for how many years was advocacy done to say, hey, we need alt text, alt descriptions on images. Hey, we want captioning on videos. All of that work doesn't just happen magically. That, that's programmers. Those are accessibility experience teams who are there to make Twitter a more inclusive place, accessible place for a lot of advocates. And that was one of the conversations that really emerged on Friday and Saturday as the announcement of these layoffs kicked in. There were a lot of people who've become really strong advocates for disability in the disability community or regular access chats going on within the disability community and advocates over the course of the last couple of years said, oh my gosh, do we potentially have to go somewhere else? Do we want to continue using this platform that potentially doesn't care about us? And the, the, the general vibe was, hey, maybe we can go somewhere else, but it's going to be difficult to try and build this community to build the same thing that we have here. So it really puts people into a difficult choice. Now, since a lot of these reports came out on Friday and Saturday about Twitter laying off half its staff, there have been new reports bubbling up that some of those folks have actually been reached out to by the company saying, ooh, we aired, we, 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 we cut with too broad a knife here, the, we casted with too broad a brush, we actually need you to come back. So currently we don't actually know if all of these teams are being completely wiped out or if a few folks are going to be invited back within to these roles, understanding the actual operations of Twitter may be impacted by losing, you know, half your programmers, for example. That's just a snapshot of what happened. Tomorrow on the show, we'll be talking with one of our columnists, Kevin Shaw, about some of the broader implications of a major tech company like Twitter sort of casting their accessibility team aside and what that means for the users, what that means for the company, and what that signals more generally inside the inclusive tech movement. So tomorrow morning at about uh, 10, 15 a.m. Eastern time, Kevin Shaw will be here and we'll approach that issue. As we wrap up this hour, let's get to the regional news updates. Starting in British Columbia, where Ken Sim has been sworn in as Vancouver's new mayor in his speech, Sim reflected on the significance of being the city's first Chinese-Canadian mayor. The honour also belongs to everyone in this room who shares the vision that we can build a more inclusive Vancouver. A Vancouver, you know, where our diverse lived experiences make us stronger. Sim has a number of allies in city council and carries a strong majority. Over to the prairies, where Alberta voters in Brooks Medicine Hat go to the polls in a provincial by-election today. Premier Danielle Smith, who does not currently have a seat in the legislature, is one of the five candidates. The other candidates are Gwendolyn Dirk of the NDP, Barry Morshita of the Alberta Party, Bob Blayone of the Independence Party, and Javin Mangat 
of the Wild Rose Independence Party. So we'll uh, share those results as they come in tomorrow to see if the Premier of Alberta will officially have a seat in the legislature as of tonight. Over to Ontario, following up on the Ontario Education Workers' Strike. It appears that the parties will return to the negotiating table after the provincial government announced it would repeal back-to-work legislation and a mandated contract if the union called off the strike. Now, we shared some sound from the Premier of Ontario on yesterday's show as the news broke, but let's hear some sound from the other side. Laura Walton is the president of the Ontario School Board Council of Unions. She says workers will return to schools. As a gesture of good faith to this announcement, QPOSPCU will be collapsing our protest sites starting tomorrow. We hope that this gesture is met with the same good faith by this government in a new proposal at the bargaining table as soon as possible. And I should note that that clip was captured yesterday. So when Laura Walton says they're being taken down tomorrow, in real terms, that means today. And Canadian Union of Public Employees President Mark Hancock says this is a testament to the workers who exercised their rights. They brought their message and their anger to more than 100 sites across this province. They took on the Ford government and the government blinked. There was a large meeting of organized labor taking place in Toronto yesterday where Hancock made those remarks. And let's finish in the Atlantic where a new immigration stream has been launched in New Brunswick to fill the gap in skilled labor. The province says the New Brunswick critical worker pilot demands participating employers provide skills and language training as well as guidance and support to new workers. Six employers including Cook Agriculture, Imperial Manufacturing, J.D. Irving, and McCain Foods have been identified to participate in the pilot. It says anticipating it says participating employers are required to fulfill several requirements, including having robust settlement plans for housing and transportation to help immigrants and ensure long-term retention. Of course, there's a certain level of hand-in-handness attached to the announcement we had last week from the federal government about a desire to increase federal immigration targets by about 7.5% between now and 2025. And that was one of the things we talked about in the news panel last Friday, talking about how can you actually increase those numbers without having robust settlement, housing, and transportation plans. If your system is already too woeful, how do you actually make that investment to ensure that, yes, you're bringing in skilled labor, yes, you're bringing in new immigrants, yes, you're improving your workforce, yes, you're improving the tapestry that is Canadian culture, but do you have places for people to live? Because we're already dealing with a significant housing shortage. We're already dealing with woefully underfunded public transportation. There's currently a strike going on in Ontario in regards to some go transit transportation in terms of when the bus is operating there. So how can you actually bring people into a community if the community does not have the resources to actually welcome them in? And yes, individuals who will come in and be these new skilled laborers that our economy needs, they will build the tax base eventually. So what is the investment you make on the front end to bring folks in. So interesting to see those strands of the conversation continuing. If you did miss our news panel conversation last Friday with Michelle McQuig and Joy Gupta, of course, you can download that on your favorite podcasting platform. Just search for Now with Dave Brown in the search bar and it'll pop up. And once you're there, if you're on Spotify, leave us a rating. If you're on iTunes, leave us a review and a rating. And if you're really enjoying the show, 
What I really appreciate is if you're sharing it with your friends, heading to social media and saying, this was a good podcast. Or, or you can openly criticize us as well. We're open to that as well. If you say, hey, I didn't like this segment, I didn't like this take, share the segment, have your friends and family take a listen and get their perspective on it too. It's one of the best ways you can support the show is by sharing the podcast on your social medias or via the emails or via the text and telling people, hey, this now with Dave Brown show, they are onto something. That Dave Brown is a genuinely interesting guy. Sometimes he's funny, most times he's dumb, but either way, he's somewhat entertaining. And of course, if you want to reach out to us more directly as opposed to just sharing our content on social, you can do so by giving us your feedback. Send us emails, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca. You can also Find us on social media, at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media on TikTok, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, and at Accessible Media Inc. on Instagram. But I know some of y'all, you're old school. You say, I don't do the interweb bippity bops. I do the telemophone. So give us a call, 1-866-509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545. Coming up after the break, I've got a small primer on the U.S. midterm elections, and Brock Richardson will be here for a sports chat. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Tuesday, November the 8th, 2022. My birthday. Imminent. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Nelson Rago will tell you about Grid Editor, a new coding tool for blind and partially sighted computer programmers. And then we wrap up the show with the weekly news quiz. Karen McGee will be here. Ryan Delahanty will be here. And Alex Smythe will be here as well. I uh, feel bad for Alex. I don't know how much news was trickling down the pipeline while he was in Aruba. So maybe Paul only has questions about different flavors of rum as the questions in the news quiz, but we'll see. Just before we bring in Brock Richardson, there is one more news story that I want to identify that is going to be coming down the pipeline today and occupying a whole lot of attention on social media and cable news. Several close races could decide the balance of power in the Congress of the United States as Americans cast their votes in midterm elections. Julie Walker looks ahead. In Swing State, Pennsylvania, the race for Senate between Democratic Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman and Republican TV celebrity Dr. Mehmet Oz is only one or two percentage points apart. The contest could well decide the Senate majority. The same for the race in Georgia. Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock and Republican challenger, former NFL star Herschel Walker, will help determine which party controls a Senate now divided 50-50. And in Arizona, Democratic Senator Mark Kelly is locked in a tight re-election race against Republican Blake Masters. It appears to be a dead heat in all three states. Any race that finishes within half a point goes to a recount. I'm Julie Walker. So that's a little bit of a political primer, and we'll share the results of that tomorrow on the show. Maybe not full-blown deep dive, but we'll try to give you what the American Congress looks like as of tonight when the results come in, and we'll share that with you tomorrow. Let's head over to Brock Richardson for a sports chat. 
Brock, it feels unavoidable that every couple of days we have to deal with some news that bums us out from the world of sports. And hockey provided those theatrics over the course of the weekend when the Boston Bruins signed Mitchell Miller, a former draft pick of the Arizona Coyotes. And it turned into a bit of a scandal because of Mitchell Miller's past uh, conviction of bullying classmates with developmental disabilities. So, Brock, your take on the scandal and how it unfolded over the course of the last couple of days. Um, It unfolded rather quickly uh, to the point that one of the reasons I brought this this morning was because uh, manager Andy Frank brought it to my attention after I did my Kelly and Company uh, sports hit. I did not realize until yesterday afternoon that the Boston Bruins had rescinded um, his contract. And a couple of things I want to make note and get your comments. Number one is that, remember, this was done as uh, this individual was a minor. This was done in in juvenile court. And the question brought up to me this morning as I was doing this or preparing for this was the following. It was, yeah, but how come if he's a juvenile, how come it's still on record? I don't necessarily think it is on record. I think it's more of a case of the... Boston Bruins and the NHL and everyone involved does not think Mitchell Miller has improved his actions. That's what I was reading um, all through the evening last night uh, before bringing it to you that I think it's more of a case of the optics of this in the NHL doesn't look good. The Boston Bruins, some of their athletes came and said, look, we we, we don't support this. And so then it, it uh, unfolded the way it did. I think Boston has sort of set themselves up as a franchise as something this 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 can cause a bit of damage if you went through with this um, and kept the contract. I think if your athletes don't support the decisions you make from a, you know, roster standpoint, I, th- I think that's one thing. But a roster standpoint on someone that's been convicted of something that you just simply cannot do in 2022 and beyond, I think that brings a whole nother narrative that needs to be said. Well, the, what what broke down here is that this wasn't just Mitchell Miller maybe one time bullied someone with a developmental disability, which in and of itself would be a terrible thing. This was a pattern of abuse for years and years that he put someone through, which that in and of itself says, ooh, okay, that speaks to not the guy made a mistake one day. This guy was perpetually bullying this person. And that's perhaps what is not going to give you a second opportunity to redeem yourself. The other thing that stood out here in some of the reporting that was done from outlets like Sportsnet and TSN, really good reporting, was that as more details of the case came out, we learned that Mitchell Miller never actually apologized to the victim. Any apologies were given through his lawyer in the courtroom, not personally apologizing. So that implies a sense of no remorse. There also were tweets that surfaced from Mitchell Miller's father uh, talking about, oh, uh, talking about, oh, what my son did wasn't so bad. And he was retweeting a bunch of people who were also sharing that point of view. So it speaks to a general level of contempt for the victim in this case. And you're never going to win the PR battle in that case. People will offer you forgiveness if you are willing to go out and actively do the work to seek forgiveness. Forgiveness is earned, not given. And Mitchell Miller in this scandal over and over has proven that there is no forgiveness wanted and playing professional hockey and making millions of dollars to do it 
is a privilege. And that's what people seem to forget. We're not saying Mitchell Miller can't go get a job somewhere. He can go try and be an insurance salesman or he can go work at a bank. He can go do whatever the heck he wants to. But he doesn't get to make millions of dollars playing professional hockey. And that's it. That's that's the end result. Yeah, and I think to your point, and I mean, I was bullied in, in middle school and perpetually bullied and uh, over the same year and, and there was denial and no real apology um, from the actual person who did this. And I think, you know, uh, lawyer's apology, eh, you know, that's not sincere, as you point out. That you It needs to come from the horse's mouth. And I, and I you know, that's very cliche of me to say this, but it, it's true. If you're going to genuinely apologize, you need it to come from you yourself. And if there is no sign of remorse, as we've seen in the reports, then you don't deserve a second chance. And it's it's a privilege to be in sports. It's a privilege what we get to do. But that doesn't mean that we're invin- invincible either. We we need to hold ourselves to an account and come on you know different platforms and make sure that we're doing the right things. And as I've said on multiple uh, platforms, it's you, you need to earn that, as you point out. And if you're not going to earn it, well, then you don't you don't deserve the the millions of dollars that come with professional sports. So my response to close this out, at least from me, is I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry either because you made the decision and you're not remorseful. So yeah. there's there's also a difference between an isolated incident and a pattern of behavior, right? There could be people who are watching this morning who are saying, well, where do you guys stand on Logan Mayu, the Montreal Canadiens draft pick? Or where do you stand on Austin Matthews exposing himself to a security guard in Arizona when he during an offseason? And, and I'm actually very empathetic to those positions to say, what is the difference between an isolated incident versus a pattern of behavior? Mitchell Miller showed, demonstrated a pattern of behavior. And I think that Logan Mayu and I think that Austin Matthews actually skated a little bit in regards to the accusations they faced, but it becomes easier to seek remorse and seek for and show remorse and seek forgiveness when you publicly make one mistake versus a pattern of behavior. It's the same thing that we're dealing with with the Cleveland Browns and Deshaun Watson right now. When we're talking about dozens of cases of sexual misconduct, that doesn't say, oh, Deshaun Watson made an error once or or uh, made a sexual advance once during a massage. It was dozens and dozens of times that he made a sexual advance during a massage. That's a pattern of behavior. And I think that changes the way in which we have to have these conversations that we're not just talking about one-off events. We're talking about patterns of behaviors and in the Mitchell Miller case, it was something that went on for years and years and years and also came with a criminal conviction. And 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 I know I said I had one last point there, but you, you would also say that when you do it as a repetitive pattern, you have to call into question then when it's a repetitive thing. Is there intent? Are you are you intending to do this rather than are you are you sorry? Is it a mistake? A mistake is something where it's like, oh, sorry, I misread my notes and I made a mistake like yesterday when I when I made the mistake and didn't realize that that, you know, he had his contract had been rescinded. I didn't come on meaning to to, you know, give false information. It was a mistake. So I come on my next platform and corrected what I'm able to do. And so that to me, I have to look at that and say, was there a little bit of intent? Yeah, maybe because if it was repetitive 
then obviously you're not feeling bad about it and you're okay continuously doing it because somewhere in your conscious, Dave, we hope that you recognize that you're, what you're doing is wrong. And over time, you're going to eventually click in and say, I need to stop doing this before it, it damages my image and my career. And unfortunately, he didn't stop soon enough before it did exactly that when it damaged his image and his career in hockey. Brock, let's move on to happier news, although maybe not super happy news if you're a fan of either of the <laughs> hockey teams from Alberta, as Calgary falls 4-3 last night to the New York Islanders in New York, and we also had the Edmonton Oilers falling to the Capitals 5-4 uh, to four in Washington. Which one of those games do you want to tee off on first? Uh, let's go with the uh, Calgary uh, game. I think that, um, you know, losing uh, in the losing streak that they're in, I think Daryl Sutter has Sutter has called out uh, mental toughness, and throughout the uh, this this losing streak, he's noticed some stuff that he doesn't like. Uh, interesting fact, although not a good one. Uh, goaltender for Calgary, Jacob Markstrom, has given up a goal on the first shot for the third time this Eesh, season. Oof. That's not a good stat to have. You don't want to do that once, let alone. Uh, three times and, and on the first shot that that's not good. It's, it doesn't set your tone uh, as, as good as it could in, in the beginning of a hockey game. So there are struggles. And if they lose again tonight, Dave, I'm going to be asking you a very pointed question, but I want to see what happens in tonight's hockey game before we, we go down this road. So not going, not going too far down the road as they're off to play a game in New Jersey tonight against the Devils for the Flames. But yeah, what, what started off as a really positive start to the season, it looks like things have hit a bit of a rocky road there in Calgary. But as you say, goaltending, it, at this point in the season, it's so funny. We just look at goaltending and say, is your goaltending good enough? Well, Markstrom, our $7 million a year goalie, keeps allowing goals on the first shot. So we're playing behind the eight ball over and over and over again. So uh, we'll, we'll see where Calgary ends up. But they're looking for a bounce back against a really good New Jersey team. New Jersey's off to a great start this year. That's actually a super compelling game tonight. Brock, let's head over to the Washington-Edmonton game where Kuznetsov, Evgeny Kuznetsov scored a couple goals for the Capitals. Alex Ovechkin had a goal and an assist. Ovechkin up to eight goals already this season. I'm telling you, the dude's going to break Gretzky's record. It's like not even close at this point. He's going to get there, no problem, unless the body falls apart, and it will not. But your reaction to Edmonton dropping that game to Washington? Um, Connor McDavid's doing... Uh, Connor McDavid things. He scored uh, yet another ridiculous goal in the uh, loss. And I just think that there is some struggles going on in Edmonton as well. Yes, Washington is a good team. There's no doubt. But Jay Woodcroft uh, last night called out the difference. And this is the difference, in my opinion. It's highlighted here. When you give up four power play goals in one game, that's the difference. No matter uh what uh, what your situation is? Again, they get an opportunity to jump back on the horse and 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 do it again tonight. But against a really really talented uh, Tampa Bay Lightning team, who is kind of you know in the, they're not where we think they should be based on the talent. Same with Edmonton. So it'll be interesting to see what happens tonight. But again, the coaches are starting to call out Western Canada and say what's really going on because. Four power play goals is not acceptable in any way, shape, form. And they were playing from behind all night last night. Mm -hmm. And it just, when you do that, 
you set yourself up uh, behind the eight ball, and that's what they're doing. Brock, most of the Canadian teams are in action tonight. Any other? Is there another game you want to highlight before we move on to basketball? Um, since we touched on the other two, let's let's go with uh, Montreal versus uh, Detroit. Oh yeah, I think Detroit. Mm. Detroit for me is sort of the surprise of the Atlantic uh, division. They're they're second uh, place uh, uh, just under Boston. Both those two teams, Boston and Detroit, have been playing really, really well. Uh, Let's see how uh, Montreal matches up. Montreal is still that young team. Sometimes they look really good. Sometimes they look really not good. Um, And so that's the game. Again, you look at Toronto tonight. They're playing the Vegas Golden Knights, looking to avenge that loss from last week, uh, 3-1, where Toronto looked absolutely atrocious. Yeah, but so, since you called Toronto out, they've been playing really well. Since you called them out here on air, they've uh, taken some inspiration from that. Yes, I'll take all the credit. Yeah, I'll you deserve all the, the, all the credit there, Brooke. Uh, one, one note here on uh, Montreal and Detroit. Last time they played in early October, Detroit absolutely beat the tar out of Montreal with size and skill, and I think there may be uh, a possibility of that happening again tonight at the Little Caesars Arena. Uh, Detroit is just a whole bunch of big young gentlemen who can skate and they are not afraid to throw their bodies around and Montreal is going to be without one of their big boys Josh Anderson tonight so Montreal may be a little bit physically overmatched tonight at Little Caesars Arena Brock we had another one of these peculiar back-to-backs in the National Basketball Association the Raptors doing a home-and-home with the Chicago Bulls. Sunday in Toronto, Monday in Chicago, they split the back-to-back. Your reaction to where the Raptors are at as Pascal Siakam continues to deal with the dreaded abductor strain. My reaction is that I uh, like these back-to-backs better than this whole, you know, one night off, another night we play. I, I would... Like it in the same city as we just saw. I think that um, Scotty Barnes is filling in for Pia- Pascal Siakam very well. Uh, we'll just see how long uh, Toronto can sort of su- sustain this uh, as time goes on. But Toronto is doing um, really good things. The problem is is that they have trouble... Um, negating those big, big runs. The Bulls went on a something like a 15 to three run at one point. When you do that in the second half and it's hard to dig yourself out of the hole. So Toronto really needs to work on putting themselves in a better position, you know, and not having to chase the game when you, when you give up a 15 to three run or, or something even worse than that. That's the difference. But I do think the thing that Toronto Raptors fans need to recognize is that they have played sort of the toughest part of their schedule to, to start the season. And, they, and they've held themselves above water. And I do think this is a good team. But they, are, they have been fun to watch. Absolutely. Brock, thank you for this. Have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Indeed we will. That is Brock Richardson. He's at the AMI Sports Desk. Oh, wait, Brock, we can't hang up on you just yet. Did we hang up on Brock yet? I forget this every week. Brock, you're also the host of the Neutral Zone. And I forget every Tuesday that I'm supposed to ask you to promote the most recent episode of The Neutral Zone, which will be airing at 11 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio, and the podcast will pop up on YouTube a little bit later. So, Brock, what's on the show today? Majority of the show talking about uh, para-sport events. Uh, One is the Ontario Blind Sports Association Hall of Fame Gala, which is coming up this weekend. 
and we preview that. There's a big announcement, which I will actually bring to your audience tomorrow once it airs, uh, just in case some of you miss it. Um, and then we got on to chatting about the Cruiser's Cup. Two of my uh, co-hosts were part of that event, so uh, we got on to chatting about the good, the bad, and the ugly of that event. So Very great conversation good. coming your way in a little while. Thank you very much, Brock. We appreciate it. Thank you. That's Brock Richardson. He's the host of the Neutral Zone. Alex Smythe is here. Alex has the national weather updates. Here is your AMI national weather report from Environment Canada. Starting in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, it's showers or possible snow with up to 10 millimeters expected and wind gusts up to 80 kilometers per hour with a high of four. In Charlottetown, PEI, it's cloudy with a chance of showers and wind gusts up to 80 kilometers per hour as well, and a high of six. In St. John, New Brunswick, it's sunny, becoming a mix of sun and clouds as the day goes on, and the wind gust is up to 60 kilometers per hour. The high there is seven. In Quebec City, Quebec, it's a mix of sun and clouds with six as the high. In Toronto, Ontario, it's sunny and a high of 10. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's mainly sunny with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and a high of six. Over to Brandon, Manitoba, it's mainly cloudy and a high of three. In Regina, Saskatchewan, snow expected throughout the day with up to four centimeters falling. And the high is negative five. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds and possible snow with minus 17 being the high there. Over to Red Deer, Alberta, it's mainly sunny, but minus 15 is the high. Winter has certainly come in Alberta. In Whitehorse, uh, uh, Yukon, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow flurries this afternoon and wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high, negative 14. In Kelowna, BC, it's mainly sunny with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and a high of negative two. And finally in Vancouver, BC, it's cloudy with a chance of wet snow in the morning, then clearing in the afternoon, and the high is six. That is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up after the break, you'll learn about Grid Editor, a coding tool for blind and partially sighted computer programmers. Nelson Rago will tell you all about it. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's take a look at the world of accessible technology with Nelson Rago, the founder of Cool Blind Tech. Hey, good morning, Nelson. Hey, good morning, David. Nelson, let's start in Pennsylvania, where researchers at Penn State University developed Grid Editor, a coding tool for blind and partially sighted computer programmers. So, Nelson, tell me about some of the features behind Grid Editor. Uh, just uh, uh, for visuals, so the interface of uh, grid editors is very similar to a spreadsheet. So you'll have uh, columns and rows in it uh, um, uh, just to, to, to represent kind of like a grid system. Um, and then with that, uh, so uh, for comparison, so the, the lines of the code will reflect like the rows and then the columns will reflect the, uh, the levels of the, um, the actual code itself. And uh, for those that are using screen readers, 
they'll have uh, audible feedback uh, in a certain cell. They'll give you a different tones as, as you reach um, uh, edges of the grid. They'll actually give you uh, uh, other tones as you come in close to the edges, uh, just to give you a sort of a um, uh, sort of feedback of like a, of what someone would see visually as, as you're approaching the edge of the grids. Uh, and then for um, people that have partial vision, uh, they'll have uh, uh, highlights in the cells themselves uh, where it'll be uh, reflect like the standard uh, plain text editor uh, for those um, editors that have like the colors and they'll give you the contrast um, as you're uh, using the code um, in that uh, software. So uh, a number of things that they, they've applied uh, for those who are uh, completely blind and those who are partially sighted uh, to actually uh, interface with this software. Nelson, I couldn't code my way out of a paper bag, but what kind of <laughs> feedback did they get from people who are blind and partially sighted who can? Uh, initially, they uh, they put out a prototype uh, for two months. They reached out to the uh, blindness community of uh, programmers, and then they, um, they did a controlled lab study with uh, 12 individuals uh, who are partially sighted and uh, blind. And they uh, determined uh, when comparing between the plain text editor and the grid editor, uh, not only were the uh, programmers more accurate, uh, more efficient, they made less mistakes. Um, it was overall, uh, on average, they were saying uh, that it was just a, a better interface to use for those users as opposed to using a regular uh, plain text editor. Uh, so overall, it was a very successful, uh, uh, you know, sort of study that they uh, were able to do. Nelson, this may be getting a little too deep into the weeds, but what is the recommended software that's, that they're suggesting people use with Grid Editor? Uh, yeah, not too much. Actually, with this, they're, they're recommending the uh, the Chrome browser um, to to interface with the, the software. And also for the screen reader, um, they're recommending using NVDA uh, screen reader to, to actually uh, work with this uh, software. So... Uh, just uh, and that's those are both uh, obviously those are both free, so it's uh, there's no cost to the end user. And here's where we dive even deeper with the machete into the woods. What kind of yeah. programming languages does the grid editor support? Yeah, they they start out with uh, Python um, language, so that that's what they launched it with, and and they're looking to actually add in more programming languages. But uh, yeah, right now they they have that, and, uh, and the good thing with this is. Uh, um, you know, they've made the software free for anyone to use. So that, that's the, the great thing about this. And it, it's publicly available for anyone that wants to, to use it, for those programmers that are interested in using it. Uh, they can uh, go in and, and check it out and, and try it out for themselves. So we're already we're already talking about the launch. It's already been launched. It's already available to the public. Yes, yes, it's, it's already available. So any when it, uh, this is probably already known to programmers out there, but uh, anyone who's not aware of it, uh, it, it is available to try out. So it's definitely worth a try for those other programmers that are not aware of this software. How's your programming game, Nelson? I, like I said, I can't code out of a paper bag. I couldn't even do the basics. What about you? I, I could do the HTML. Like I, I could get by like uh, doing stuff on the, on the website. Uh, uh, but when it comes to Python, um, Unfortunately, I'm not one of those individuals that are wired for programming. I, I get too fidgety. I, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. can't sit in front of the computer too long. I, I need to move. And and uh, I, I wish I were one of those programmers that, that I could sit in front of the computer and just code all day. But uh, I, I'm just not wired for it. And, and I wish I were. So definitely hats off to those who, who do it. Uh, it's a great, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to learn. Oh, and, my gosh. And, yeah. You know, 
Yeah. I, so if anyone out there that's a programmer, <laughs> give me a shout. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and he's available on my website uh, if you know a little bit of Python. If I had kids, I would be I would be like forcing them to code from a young age. I'd be like, you are going to learn to be Bill Gates. <laughs> yeah, my my eight-year-old daughter already wants to like take over my website, so I may have to let her one day. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Nelson, let's jump over to your tech tip here. Um, a lot of folks may be able to relate to this one. There's a lot of online shopping and shipments that are coming our way. Well, iOS 16 is offering some live text features in regards to how people can track their shipments. So yeah. how is this how is this process going to work for folks? Uh, so so just a caveat with this one. So uh, live text itself was um, originally released when I was uh, 15. And that was uh, enables uh, people to to uh, read words and text in uh, photos. Um, and then with this feature, this this allows you to actually um, uh, read the uh, you know, shipping uh, numbers for like uh, uh, if you're doing like tracking. Uh, and you do need a certain device, so you need to start out with uh, uh, an iPhone 10s or a newer. Uh, so it won't work if you have anything older than that. Uh, so if you have a 10R, uh, 11 and higher, it'll work for those phones. Uh, you'll need the minimum I iOS 15. And then for uh, this particular feature, you'll need iOS 16 uh, to read the, the shipping numbers. So uh, for example, if you pull up a photo, uh, you can uh, drop it into your, your Photos app, and then there's a live text button in the bottom right-hand corner. You tap on that, and it'll, it'll give you a tracking button. And then you'll you'll tap on uh, that button there, and then it'll take you to the website. It'll give you the tracking details. Uh, you could also do it uh, using the camera app itself. So if um, you launch the camera app, you do the same thing. Top, uh, sorry, bottom right hand corner. Uh, tap along the live text button, and then it'll give you that uh, tracking uh, button as well when it pops up. Uh, usually automatically, and it'll launch your um, your browser. In this case, in most cases, it'll be Safari, and it'll take you to the website. It'll give you all the tracking information. So. It's a great, nice little feature, especially if you're doing a lot of uh, online shopping. How many packages a day end up at the Rego household? Uh, not as much as I, I used to. Uh, when you start having kids, you, you start looking for kid stuff. So, and, and my, my daughter likes seeing the toys and things in person. So we usually drop by like a local toy, toy store. Uh, I did the whole Amazon thing before where we bought things online and it was it was never it was never the product that we thought it was going to be. So we now when we buy things, it's it's usually we shop locally. Yeah, nice to shop local and nice to get your hands on stuff to actually be able to sort of get a vibe for it, as opposed to sneaky pictures posted online that don't necessarily yeah. represent what you're getting. Hey, Nelson, thank you for this. Have a great day, man. Awesome. Take care. That's Nelson Rego. He's the founder of Cool Blind Tech. Dropping today. In the AMI podcast family is another edition of Raising Kindness. Becky Czar will reflect on Remembrance Day and will visit a legion in Regina. You can find Raising Kindness on all major podcast platforms or watch videos on YouTube. Coming up after the break, Nizreen and Ramya will be here. I've got a very important question for them. What do you do when a small item falls on the floor and you cannot find it? I need help because there is a blueberry on my kitchen floor that will rot if I cannot find it sooner than later. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. I've long told you one of my favorite podcasts on the AMI audio podcast network is Low Vision Moments with Jenny Bovard. And of course, Jenny will be joining us later this week on the Thursday show. But uh, I've got a podcast idea. How about Low Vision Nightmares? This morning, as I was making my breakfast, and when I say making my breakfast, I mean eating blueberries over the sink like a rat. I was trying to pop a blueberry into my mouth. I missed, missed my face completely, bounced off my cheek, and hit my floor. I later got onto my hands and knees with a flashlight trying to find this blueberry because it will rot if I do not find it. And I cannot find this blueberry. So I need to bring in Nizreen Abdelmajid and Ramya Amuthan, my fellow blindies. They're going to help me find this blueberry. They're going to tell me techniques on how to find a small lost item on my floor. Good morning, Nizreen. Good morning. And hello, Ramya. Hey, Dave. I don't mean to imply that, that I would give such a demeaning nickname as to refer to us as blindies <laughs> or blindors, but, you know, we, 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 we have some lived experience. Uh, Nizreen, what do I do? How do I find this blueberry? Okay, my, my technique is skiing in the kitchen. So just... <laughs> Okay, you need to feet. you need to elaborate. You need to elaborate on, okay. on this one. Use your feet just like just go section by section with your foot as if you're skiing. And uh I think that's my only technique, but the worst part is when you drop a pomegranate because that's messy <laughs> and it's so tiny and it just stains everything. Oh, so yeah. I think that would be the only option. Juices and seeds is a whole different scenario. If there's juice splatter, it's, it's a whole new game. Ramya, what about you? Some advice on what I should do to find this blueberry besides b- borrowing your dog for the afternoon. Oh, yeah. No, he'd love to help you find it. He's found a lot of things. I was going to say get a pet uh, vacuum cleaner because they will go and hunt down everything you've dropped. Um, I drop Glizzy's kibble all the time. It's pretty much the size of a blueberry. So I get on my hands and knees and sweep around. Uh, I, the skiing technique you're talking about, Nisreen, is very familiar to me because I used to not use my white cane, even though I should have, and um, had to learn a lot of skiing to find stairs and things like that. But Dave, I think... What I usually do with things like this, like screws or backs of uh, earrings, all kinds of stuff, is just get out the vacuum. But you got to make sure your canister is clean and then it'll suck it up. And that's only if the skiing and the hands and knees haven't worked already. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm considering is grabbing one of my Swiffers. And because, you know, a Swiffer, Mm -hmm. you can get really into some of those crevices. Because I believe where this blueberry landed must be sort of just under the fridge or under one of the ledges of one of my cabinets of my island. I'm thinking that's where it's at. But on my hands and my knees, I could not identify it this morning. I could not find it. Although bear in mind, it was like six in the morning that I had not had any coffee or tea yet. So there were other factors that were impacting my overall competence in finding things. So, yeah, I think I think when I get back, I'm going to go back for another level of skiing, another round of hands and knees with the <laughs> flashlights. I think I'm going to pass the Swiffer for a little bit to see if I can make contact. So if we make contact, okay. we can sort of like flush it out to a more generalized area. My floor is gray. It's a light color. So a blueberry should stand out. Should there stand should out. be enough contrast there Dave, if I'm lucky. Nazreen. The worst nightmare for me is dropping one of my pins on the floor from yep. my hijab. Oh, my God. So the only way of finding it is when you actually step on it, and ooh, then there ooh. you go. 
Yeah, you see, that seems like a dangerous <laughs> game. That's like that's like getting a cut kind of game going on right there. Yeah. So, yeah. and Rummy, I think you're right. I think I think the vacuum may have to come out here. What I'm especially concerned about is that it rolled under my stove, and now it's gonna rot under my stove until someone moves into my place. Dude, that's just normal in my house. So many things I find under my stove, under my fridge, because it, like you can only look for this blueberry for so long, Dave, and then after that, it's like, eh, whatever. I'll find it, you know. 10 days later. It's going to smell though. Like it's, 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 it's organic material. It's going to start smelling. That's why I said, get a dog. Cause then you could just assume your dog found it before you did. I, but I will say for the Swiffer idea, one pet peeve of mine when I'm using other things to help me like narrow down or whatever, is that sometimes I end up pushing it further away, especially around mm, things like blueberries. Mm. If I Swiffer to aggressively mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. i'm then tossing the blueberry somewhere else and then it's not even in the vicinity of where i dropped it right that's a good point as well it. or smushing yeah, it yeah gross. at least if you smush it though in theory you've now crushed it so with a series yeah. of other swifferings or moppings you will clear it out sure mm -hmm. yeah whereas if it's left to biodegrade but on its own on its own accord it's gonna get it's gonna turn into a rough scenario i dropped an airpod once and I had to call Ira. By the way, Ira is like the emergency, like I need to find it right now situation. So I had to call Ira because uh, at that time, Glizzy was a puppy. And unfortunately, he got to my AirPod before I did. And it was, just, uh, it was just a stump by the time I got to yeah, it. Yeah, that, that, that's tricky, right? The, the dogs are great at finding organic material, but they will destroy your technology if given the opportunity. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nazreen, thank you for this. Have a great day. Thank you, you too. Ramya, before I say goodbye to you, what's coming up on Kelly and Company this afternoon? We're talking with nutritionist Julia Caranches. Not about blueberries, though, but she's sharing culinary ideas for pumpkins. Um, obviously, we're still talking about pumpkin composting because it's after Halloween and nearing the end of fall. Also, we're talking to Bella Strange about skincare tips for this time of year, colder months, and chaps, Oof. lips, and dry yeah. skin. Yeah, we're all familiar with it. So she'll talk about some alternatives for people who may be allergic to chapstick as well. Um, also, arthritis in cats. This is an underdiagnosed problem problem that Dr. Daniel Jeankind is going to tell us more about on Ask a Vet. Always a wide range of topics on Kelly and Company. Ramya, thank you for this. Have a great day. You too. That's Ramya Amethan, the co-host of Kelly and Company, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up next, oh, it's the weekly news quiz. Karen McGee will be here. Ryan Delahanty will be here. And so will Alex Smythe. And yours truly will be Quiz Master. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. I've got the list of questions. I've got my score sheet and I've got my very efficient marker, which means we're ready and prepped for the weekly news quiz. Oh, yes. Another edition of the weekly news quiz. Let's welcome in our contestants. Hello, Ryan Delahanty. Hello. Thanks for having me back. Ryan here from Nova Scotia. We've also got Karen McGee in Morrisburg, Ontario. Hello, Karen. Good morning. And of course, Alex Smythe back from vacation in Burlington, Ontario. Hello, Alex. 
Hello, Dave. And as you mentioned earlier, I have no idea what's gone on in the world for the past week. So this should be interesting. There is no journalism in Aruba. Let's head over <laughs> to the rules here in case it's your first time listening to the quiz. We have three rounds of questions, three questions per round. Each question comes with three multiple choice options. If you answer the question without hearing the options, you get two points. If you need to hear an option and get it right, you get one point. If you get it wrong, we move on until the point is awarded. The order of contestants was drawn by our producer, Paul Daniel. He also wrote the questions. So the order will be Alex, Ryan, and Karen. So, Alex, question number one. Which rapper who made up one-third of the Grammy Award-nominated group Migos, was shot and killed in Houston last week. I'll need the options, Dave. Was it Takeoff, Offset, or DJ Spinderella? Uh, it was Offset. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. Ryan Delahanty. Takeoff. That is correct. One point for Ryan, the 28-year-old takeoff, whose real name was Kersnik Karibal, was the youngest member of the group formed in 2008. Ryan, question number two of round number one goes to you. Last week, five of this four-legged animal escaped from their enclosure at an Australian zoo. What kind of animal was it? I'll take the options. Was it lions, elephants, or giraffes? <laughs> I like the last option. Um, let's see. Let's go uh, lions. That is correct. Oof. The lions' escape sparked a brief emergency as officials rushed to contain them. There were actually students doing a sleepover at the zoo next to the lion enclosure when the lions got out, but no students were harmed in the end. I actually was going to share that show, story on the air last week, but there was no good sound, so we just moved on. Karen McGee, question number three of round number one goes to you. A shortage of which antibiotic in the United States appears to be linked to the ongoing surge in respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV? I'll take the choices, please. Is it amoxicillin, tetracycline, or civiloxin? I'll go amoxicillin. That's correct. Thank you, Paul Daniel, for making that very easy for me. RSV infections are overwhelming pediatric units in the U.S. and Canada, resulting in long waits for treatment. So, after one round, we have Ryan with two points, Karen with one point, and Alex with the Zippo, Zilch, and Nada. But things can turn around in round two. But Ryan Delahanty gets a chance to build upon his lead to begin round number two. Ryan, at least 130 people died after a 19th suspension bridge collapsed last week over which river in western India? I'll take the options, please. Uh, sorry, Ryan, give me, give me that one more time. The options, please. Okay, you can absolutely uh, get the options. Was it the Salween River? Was it the Machu River? Or was it the Godivni River? Let's go with the uh, Good Evening River. That is incorrect. Karen McGee. Read the two left, please, again. Was it the Salween or the Machu? I'll go Machu. That is correct. One point for Karen McGee. Witnesses say up to 500 people were on the bridge, which was only capable of supporting about 125 people. Karen, question number two of round number two goes to you. Last week, which Hollywood actress confirmed that Martin Luther King Jr. and his wife, Coretta Scott King, had paid for her birth? 
Julia Roberts. Wow, two points for Karen McGee. Not even needing options. Karen's all over that. <laughs> EW, still alive and well in the McGee household. In honor of Robert's 55th birthday on October 28th, consultant Zara Rahim tweeted a clip of Robert sharing the story about her birth with journalist Gail King. Roberts explained that Dr. King and his wife, Coretta Scott King, took care of the hospital expenses since her parents could not pay the bill. One day, Coretta Scott King called Roberts' mother and asked if King's children could be part of the theater school started by Roberts' mother. Roberts' mother said yes, and thus began a friendship between the civil rights leaders. Question number three of round number two, going to Alex. Alex, one of the commissioners of the FCC is calling for a ban on which social media app over concerns over privacy? Ooh, I'll take the options. Is it Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter? I'm going to say TikTok. That is correct. With the Chinese Communist Party holding sway over China's tech companies, U.S. officials contend that TikTok's Chinese ownership is a growing national security concern. So, after two rounds, we have Karen in the lead with four points, Ryan with two points, Alex off the snide with one point, but Karen McGee is an opportunity to take a commanding lead here with the first question of the third round. Karen, the career of Canadian Olympic athlete Christine De Bruyne is in question after she was handed a three-year suspension for testing positive for a prohibitive anabolic agent. What sport does she compete in? I think I know, but I'm going to take the choices. Is it figure skating, pole vault, or bobsleigh? Bobsledding. That is correct. Bobsleigh. A note of competition, urine sample taken last summer revealed the substance publicly known as Lingerdol, known to increase lean muscle mass. That's obviously what I take. Uh, in De Bruyne's system, the 33-year-old Alberta native who captured her first Olympic medal by taking bronze in the women's inaugural monoboob event in Beijing in February will not be able to compete or train with teammates during the suspension. Alex, question coming to you. Today, Americans are casting their ballots in midterm elections in Pennsylvania's Senate race. Dr. Mehmet Oz is facing John Fetterman, a Democrat. What is Fetterman's current position in the state? Oh, um. It was mentioned right off the top of this hour on Now with Dave Brown. I, I know. Well, and, and, uh. Is it uh, it Attorney General? Ooh, no. That was a close guess, though. Uh, Ryan, do you want to take a swing at this, or do you want the options? I'll take the options, please. Is it a state senator, an assemblyman, or the lieutenant governor? Mm. Let's say... uh... Lieutenant Governor. That is correct. Ryan with three points now. Fetterman is Lieutenant Governor, though he was formerly the mayor of Braddock. The most recent polling in the New York Times and Siena College found that he has a slight lead over Dr. Oz. But as we know, polls are garbage. Let's get to question number three of round number three. And it's going to Ryan with an opportunity to tie Karen if he can get this without the options. What professional hockey team was announced to be up for sale last week? Uh, let's go uh, Ottawa Senators. That is correct. Oh, are you kidding me? Oh, the NHL, <laughs> <laughs> the NHL <laughs> team would not comment earlier this week when Los Angeles-based Sportica reported the Senators hired 
a sport banking firm that helps in team sales. Canadian superstar actor Ryan Reynolds has expressed interest in buying the team. The impending sale comes after the death of Eugene Melnick, who left the team to his two daughters, Anna and Olivia. Let's uh, get to our tie-breaking question here. Let me remind you guys of the rules here on the tie-breaking question, and even sometimes I forget to execute this properly. I will read the question and then say done before you guys can chime in, because I'm always concerned about the Skype lag here on the Skype system. So when I say done, you fire off your name, and then when I call upon you, you give the answer. Everybody understands? Got it. All right. Which singer became the first ever to fill all 10 spots on the Billboard Hot 100 in the same week? Done. Karen. Karen McGee. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is correct. The Swifties. Uh, Drake had previously held nine of the top 10 spots in September of 2021, and Swift's Antihero was the number one song last week, and it is a banger. Uh, Swift also announced her arena and stadium tour dates over the course of last week. And of course, because mass media is generally garbage, of course, the article that came out was, people have to change their wedding plans because of Taylor Swift's tour. And it's like, come on, guys, we can do better news coverage than that. Like, because one person was mildly inconvenienced because their favorite singer is on tour, this constitutes a news story. Get out of here with that garbage. Ryan, have you listened to the new Swift album yet? I have not, no. Karen, have you listened to the new Swift album yet? I honestly have not. Alex, have you listened to the new Swift album yet? <laughs> no, I have not. Wow, okay. Sounds call, like a terrible vacation. <laughs> call that a... Call that a so, <laughs> yeah, my vacation was ruined. Uh, uh, read an article about a day. Call that a clean sweep across the board because I haven't listened <laughs> to... Uh, other, other than Antihero, I've heard none of the new Swift songs either. So we're uh, not doing super well here as uh, pop culture consultants, but that's, that's okay. Okay, with that, your winner is... Karen McGee back in the winner's circle. How does it feel? I feel slightly vindicated. Sli- only slightly? Well, if 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 Ryan had won with that Ottawa question, like if the if he'd have won more, I would I would have not been happy. I will say there's quite a sliding degree of difficulty from question to question in Paul's in Paul's uh, question choices. Some are very, very difficult and some are very, very easy. That is a very nice way to put it. Okay. I'm all about diplomacy. Uh, Karen, Ryan, I'm going to say goodbye to you guys right now. So thank you both for being a part of this today. Ryan, I'm sorry you couldn't pick up that win after your beginner's luck a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> well, next time, maybe. That's, I'll be more cutthroat. Silver medal is still worthwhile. Alex, we've got about two minutes on the clock here. I want you to make me and everyone else jealous by telling us about your vacation in Aruba. Well, that just doesn't seem fair, Dave. I mean, and now everyone's going to be wishing they were they had last week off. Uh, yeah, so I was down in uh, down in Aruba, went to an all-inclusive resort, had uh, a couple of my friends uh, and uh, one of their their small uh, children with us. So it was just uh, truly everything you could hope for from a a beach sun all-inclusive vacation the weather for the most part was phenomenal we had a couple days where there was some rain here um i think our third last or second last night uh there was actually an island-wide power outage but uh thankfully um our resort was one of the few that had a 
bunch of generators. So we were largely unaffected. So the drinks kept flowing, the uh, the music kept playing, the uh, the fun kind of never stopped. But uh, there's there's something really nice and relaxing about lying on a beach under a nice cabana, then looking out at beautiful emerald uh, waters that are like 90 degrees warm that you just walk in, mm. soak in, just sit there, float around for for a few hours. The big, the biggest problem is you got to be careful about the sun because in Aruba, oh, the you're, UV you're, index you're, you're telling is, me. I, I had a, I ke- uh, took four uh, containers of SPF 100 to to keep protected, and I it worked. I I got a light tan, but didn't get really burned. There was plenty of people who could have used it. A lot of red faces and backs and arms and legs, but uh, thankfully, I did not end up like a lobster. Lightning rounds here, Alex. Pool or ocean? Ocean. Beer or cocktail? Cocktail. Buffet or restaurant? Uh, in this case, the buffets were better than the restaurants, so buffet. Nap or no nap? Oh, nap every day. Alex, you know how to vacation, my friend. <laughs> we'll talk to you tomorrow. Sounds good. That is Alex Smythe, the co-host on the show, one of our producers as well. Not quite as lucky at winning the news quiz. That's okay. These things happen when you've spent a week on vacation by the beach. Not a lot of reading the newspaper when you're hanging out by the ocean. That's all the time we have for today. Don't worry. We'll be back again tomorrow morning. Elizabeth Moeller, Marco Pasqua, and I will share some more takes on Bill C-22, the Canada Disability Benefit, making its way through Parliament. The show starts at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv, and that segment will come your way at about 1030 or so. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.